You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Hello, everybody. My name's Craig, and by God's grace, I'm here to help us understand God, God's Word. Uh, before I begin, uh, we need to pray, so please pray with me. Heavenly Father, please fill us with your Spirit so that we may know you and know your Son and know his grace and love for us. Amen. So what do you think of when you think of the church? What comes to mind? Is it a building? Oh, okay, that's good. (laughs) Is it the people? Is it something else? Oh, It's very interactive. It's good. (laughs) The word translated church in the English Bibles literally means gathering. And during the pandemic, we had lots of discussion about whether watching the service online really was church. But there's no question that in the New Testament, the church is God's people gathered. And today we're going to see as God reveals his mystery of grace How central this gathering is to God's purposes, both on earth and in the heavenly places. So let's explore this mystery of grace. Paul begins our passage today with, for this reason. But for what reason, you may ask? Paul began his letter with this magnificent listings of all the spiritual blessings that God has poured out through Jesus onto us. You can see there he's chosen us, predestined us, adopted us, forgiven us, shown us his will right through to giving us his Holy Spirit. And there's others there besides. And after telling us about all these blessings from God, he says in chapter one, for this reason. And then he praises God and gives thanks to him for his work in the lives of his people. And then in chapter 2, he explains God's work of grace in saving us and in uniting us with each other. And now in today's chapter, chapter 3, he talks about how all this came about through the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of grace. And this grace, it changes everything. It certainly turned Paul's life upside down, or perhaps more accurately, it turned it the right way up. And he's become the one who explains this mystery of grace to us. Now, there's three ways that Paul speaks of himself as the explainer of this mystery of grace. First of all, he says he's a prisoner for Jesus Christ. Second, he's a steward of God's grace. And third, as a minister of the gospel. So firstly, he says he's a prisoner for Jesus Christ. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, he was actually a prisoner of the Romans and he was chained to a soldier. And if he escaped, this soldier gets executed. As you might imagine, this was a huge inconvenience for Paul as he wanted to go around everywhere to proclaim the gospel. 
He could have easily felt frustrated and guilty that he'd made the mistake of going up to Jerusalem as he'd been told in a prophecy that he'd be arrested if he went there. He could have viewed himself as a victim, but he didn't for a good reason, because beyond this reality of being chained up and likely facing a death sentence, there's the greater reality that he's captive to Jesus Christ. His affections, his will, his thoughts, his motives, his actions, his whole life is chained to Jesus, his Saviour and his Lord. God's grace changes everything. It changes everything for him, and as we'll see, it changes everything for us. You see, Paul had been on his way to Damascus to take Christian prisoners. But instead, God took him prisoner. God changed him and commissioned him to take the good news of God's grace to the non-Jewish people. That is the Gentiles. And he's been driven by that ever since. Secondly, Paul says that he's a steward of God's grace. He says, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. But what does this mean? What does this stewardship mean? The word stewardship in the Greek is like our word economy. God shows Paul the way he organizes everything, the way he acts in his wonderful blessing and his generosity. And then God gives Paul a special revelation of the mystery of the good news of Jesus. And now Paul is passing this good news on to the Gentiles. You see, when Jesus died and rose again, the people, they struggled to make sense of it. And they still do. We still do. They'd say he's a good teacher, compassionate, but he came to a sad end to his life. The thing is, the life, death and resurrection of Jesus is God's plan to redeem humanity and to unite all things under Christ. And now Paul is revealing this plan to us. Thirdly, Paul says that he's a minister or a servant of the gospel. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. Paul describes himself as a servant many times. He says he's a servant of God, of Christ, of the church. And here he says he's a servant of the gospel. This servant is someone who acts in the best interest of his master, even if it's against his own interests. And Paul acts in the best interest of the message of Jesus. Whatever's good for the gospel, that's what Jesus does. Sorry, that's what Paul does, I mean. <laughs> but where do we fit into this? Is this just a Paul thing or is this for everyone? No doubt Paul, he had a special place in God's plan to reach out to the world, crossing this massive divide between the Israelites and the Gentiles. 
But you see, we've also been captivated by Christ, the one who died for us. We're also stewards of the good news of Jesus, to pass it on to others. And in that sense, we too are servants of the gospel. We too are called to live our lives in a way that's good for the gospel, to say and to do things that promote this good news, to help people to see that this good news really is good. But then we might ask, what is this mystery that Paul keeps talking about? He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The mystery is that through the good news about Jesus, the non-Jewish people, along with Jewish people, are equal heirs of the kingdom of God, equal members of God's people, and equal inheritors of God's promises. In the promises that God made to Abraham, he promised to bless them and his descendants and to bless the nations through them. The thing is that for Israel, this came to mean for them that they alone had God's grace and promises and everyone else was excluded. This was even reflected in the architecture of the temple where there's a sign saying non-Jews keep out and they couldn't go beyond that line. It became a kind of spiritual apartheid. It became like a caste system where people from a higher caste could drink from one well and the people of a lower caste had to go and drink from another well further away. They'd have to eat separate food in separate pots and dishes and cups and a similar system was there in place between the Jews and the Gentiles. But the thing is, the revealed grace that's in Christ is that this system is finished. It's replaced by a new international community of God's people, the church, the new Israel, where Jewish people and Gentiles are on equal footing. The floodgates of salvation have been opened to all. And Paul explains this grace using three words. First, he says that we're heirs together. Both Jewish and non-Jewish people are equal heirs of God's promises. And there's no elite group and there's no lower caste in God's people, in God's family. And secondly, he says we're members together of Christ's body. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, because he took our sin and provided forgiveness and reconciliation we're received into the body of Christ, united in one family of God. And thirdly, he says that we're partakers together. Before, the Gentiles were strangers to the covenants and promises, but now they share together in God's promises. And so now you and I, united in Christ, are heirs of God's kingdom. We're members of God's family and partakers of all of God's covenants and promises. This is the mystery revealed by the gospel. Of this gospel, Paul says, I was made a minister 
according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. The only basis for relationship with God is his grace. We can't earn it, not by birth, nor by what we do after birth. It's simply and only by grace. And it's by this same grace and power that God gives Paul the gift of serving the gospel. At this time of writing, mystery religions were common. There were cults with secrets that you could only discover by being initiated into them, like today with the Masonic Lodge or passing on law in different cultures. But Christianity is different. The good news of Jesus is out for all to hear and to know and to receive. And Paul mentions three groups again, three, who hear this good news. First, he says, the Gentiles. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. It was Paul's great honour to take the endless riches of Christ to the Gentiles and all the blessings and he announces in chapter 1, he makes known to them. Secondly, he refers to God's plan being made known to everyone. To bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. You see, everyone apart from God is in darkness and needs light. The light of the world, Jesus Christ, to show them who God is, to show them how to know him and how to live for him. And then thirdly, Paul refers to the cosmic powers. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So the third group here is the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is where the spiritual battles happen and it's where Jesus rules. And when God wants to show them the multifaceted wisdom, he points to the church. And this is amazing. The church is the body of God's people of all backgrounds, of all kinds, who declares the wisdom of God to the heavenly rulers and authorities. The church is a declaration to them that Satan's evil intent will be frustrated. That despite our sin, God's plan will prevail to bring people together through Jesus' death and resurrection and to unite all things under Jesus Christ. This is relevant in the conflict in the Middle East right now where there are two sides hell-bent on destroying each other. Even the smartest peacemakers on the planet have been at a loss and for decades about what to do. But Jesus, who laid down his light, laid down his life for his enemies, who prays, Father, forgive them while he's being tortured. He has the answer. He is the answer, and the church, his family, shows this answer. Rather than defending one side or the other, we can point people to Jesus as the solution of forgiveness, reconciliation, and peace.
Friends, we're living out a great and very real drama in which ordinary church people around the world are the cast and God is the scriptwriter and the director. We play our part in the church as we love one another and build one another up, often against our own sinful inclinations. But as we do this, the audience, that's the cosmic powers, get to see that God does rule, Jesus is Lord, and his grace wins out. People often say, I can be a Christian on my own. I don't need to go to church, but you can't do it on your own. We do need each other. We need the support and the accountability that helps us to live out God's plan. People are watching us. The heavenly rulers and authorities are watching us. So how do we play our part? Paul gives us the answer in the verses that follow. He gives us what is central to living out our part. Because of the mystery of the gospel now revealed, because of God's plan being worked out through Christ in his church, we need to pray. It's the greatest thing that we can do for each other is to ask our Heavenly Father for help. As Paul prays, For this reason I bow by my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We are weak and we need to pray for strengthening, for his strength. We need to ask the Father to strengthen our inner being by the power of the Holy Spirit in us so that we may know Jesus dwelling within us. We need to pray that our faith may stand against the temptation of our own wrong desires against the pull of the world around us and against the assaults of the devil who wants to ruin God's plans. We need to pray for strength. We also need to pray for grounding, being rooted and grounded in love. Like me, you may know that it's easy to carry on doing tasks in a loveless kind of way, just soldiering on out of a sense of duty rather than from a deep love for Jesus or for one another. So pray that we'll be rooted and grounded in love in our innermost being, grounded in love in our relationships and grounded in love in all our actions. In Paul's words, we see two ideas. We see that of a tree, that our roots of our lives will go down deep into love and that of a building, that our lives are firmly based on love. As John Stott says, love is to be the soil in which our life is to be rooted. Love is the foundation on which our life is built. For this to happen, we need to pray for the strength to know Jesus' love. As Paul continues to pray, that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled 
with all the fullness of God. So here Paul moves from our love to focusing on Christ's love. We can only grow in love for one another as we come to understand the scope of Christ's love. It's broad enough to encompass all of humankind. It's long enough to last into all eternity. It's deep enough to reach the worst sinner and is high enough to raise us up to heaven. It's the love that's shown in the cross of Christ, stretching out to invite and to welcome people of all backgrounds into eternal life with him. A couple of weeks ago, at about this time, a fire broke out in a backyard shed in Geelong. You may have heard of it. There were four kids playing there. And this little guy, Isaac, he tried to shield his younger brother and sister from the flames. 80% eighty percent of his body was burned as he did so. And tragically, his siblings didn't survive. Isaac was revived, but died a few days later. His dad, in his terrible grief, said, What four-year-old huddles over his two siblings? I couldn't be prouder of him. And that loving act reminds us of the deep love of Jesus, where his body shielded us from the fire of God's wrath for our sin. And Jesus saved us. Although there are similarities, there are differences too. Jesus went to the cross knowing that he was going to die. He did it for people like you and me who had shut him out of our lives. We lived as enemies against him and yet we came out alive for all eternity without even the smell of the smoke of the fire of God's judgment. It's sacrificial, all-encompassing love. It's amazing love. And we comprehend this love, we know this love with all the saints. As we do life alongside one another, we see and learn different ways of showing Christ's love, especially with the saints we find hard to love. When we think about how Jesus loved this person so much that he died for them, we gain a deeper understanding of the breadth of Jesus' love, which we can't gain on our own. So friends, let's pray for each other to show others Christ's love, God's love. Let's pray that God can say, I'm so proud of my people at Pasco Vale. Look at how my wisdom and grace has transformed them. See how they love one another. And so now and going forward, let's pray this prayer in scripture out loud together. Let's pray it for ourselves and for each other. And let's pray for God's people throughout the world. So please, if you can see it, read along with me. We bow together before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named 
that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant us to be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that being rooted and grounded in love, we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.